You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. That's what we're talking about in our series on unity. And we've defined unity in the series uh, as something that is achieved not through chasing after unity, but by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? It's an outcome of that. And so when we live into our kingdom values and we, we follow our high priest that we talked about, God with us, God who becomes human and experiences this and all of its beauty and pain and trials and temptations and weaknesses, and Jesus chooses self-lowering, self-emptying love, and it's a way for us to follow. And that's, so it's when we commit to these kingdom values of, of hospitality and mutual submission and the self-giving love and and we recognize the tensions that, that are caused when we live in community. And we allow the Holy Spirit to enter in and to work between and among us in that tension. And so we talked about how this real unity is found only in this kingdom ethic, only when we seek first his kingdom. And so the world chases after unity. And sometimes they define unity differently as this sort of avoidance of things that might cause disunity, and so it really isn't unity at best. It's avoiding conflict or avoiding disagreement for the sake of the appearance of unity. So true unity is found when we seek first his kingdom and the Holy Spirit produces that fruit within us. And so I think uh, we need to look at the universe, right? The whole universe and our creation narrative because I think there's a trajectory to this. And it's been a long time since I've taken a science class, but if I remember correctly, it's like 13.8 billion years ago, you guys remember, uh, when there was a single point, right? There was a point that contained all the mass and matter and stuff of the universe, and that point, <sighs> big banged, as it were. And, and then, like, as the timeline of this expanding bang universe thing happened, particles came into existence. And these particles got together and like, hey, you want to hang out? And so these particles got together and formed atoms. And these atoms were like, this is cool, because like, like, we're still these, these particles, um, but now we're an atom, like something more. Like we're still these individual particles, now we're something more, something greater. Something new has unfolded in this expanding universe. And then the atoms looked around and saw other atoms, and they were like, hey, you want to hang out? And so these atoms got together, and they formed molecules, you know, molecules. And it was like this new thing, like... This new thing happened. The atoms are still a part of the molecule, but there's something more that's formed when these atoms get together and form this molecule, right? Like H, like two H's and an O. Like water happens, right? There's this molecule. From molecules, we go to cells, and then the cells get together, and the cells are like, hey, you want to hang out? And, and before you know it, there's us, right? There's humans made up of all these cells that formed tissues, that formed organs, that formed us. And here we are together as a community, a bunch of humans got together and they're like, hey, you want to hang out? And they formed this community, something bigger in this ongoing trajectory of more complexity, more depth uh, as we move in the ever-expanding, ever-more-complex universe. And our creation story has the same trajectory, right? It's, it's not scientific, it's art, it's poetry, it's story. And, and in this creation narrative, what we have is we have in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the heavens and the earth were, were tohu vavohu, were waste and wild and chaos and void and empty, right? And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. 
And then we find God speaking into the chaos and creating order and creating new things and creating more and more complex things as each day goes on. Right? There's this trajectory in the creation narrative. But in the, in the scientific particles to atoms to, to molecules thing, we also have, um, from what I remember of science classes, because it's been a while, there's a law of thermo thermodynamics. Is it the second law that says things tend toward chaos, things decay, things break apart? So there's this, this trajectory that seems to be going more and more complex, more and more beautiful, and yet there's this like competing trajectory of breaking apart and division, right? And, and that applies to humans too, because... Like, we should come together as a community, but sometimes we create division among ourselves. We create hostility to the point of oppression, to the point of hate, to the point of genocide, to the point of war. Right? And, and it's the same in, in chapter 2 when God breathes into the man, into his nostrils, making this, this thing that is physical also spirit. So this man, this creation, it's growing more and more complex, more and more beautiful, until the final thing that God creates, the most complex thing that God creates that ends our creation narrative, and the man sees her and says, whoa, man, woman. I can't pass up the opportunity to use that joke. Because, because it's not good for man to be alone. So whether you're observing this, this science of particles to atoms to molecules to cells to organisms to human path, or you're, you're, you're seeing the day-by-day day more and more complex creation of our creation narrative, our creation poem, this increasing complexity, this increasing beauty, there seems to be this, this trajectory. Unless you watch the news or read chapter 3 of Genesis, because there's that anti-trajectory, right? We call chapter 3 the fall, right, where we break the rules. And that's where we live, right? We live in these two competing trajectories, this tension of the trajectory of more and more coming together, forming more complexity and more beauty, and this trajectory of the second law of thermodynamics of decay and breaking apart, or we divide amongst ourselves and we don't come together. And so what we find in Scripture, in this story, uh, is, is this God who is trying to keep us on track is to try, because he's always had this purpose, always had this mission toward more and more complexity, more and more beauty. And spoiler alert, I, I read the end of the story, and it goes from garden to city. And so there's this trajectory of more and more beauty and complexity that wins in the end. So it's not a question of competing trajectories. It's a question of are you going to join in the trajectory that exists and the other one doesn't exist anymore. Because God is seemingly looking for a body in this mission of this ongoing trajectory. Right? He's, and more than that, he's looking for bodies that can come together and create a community, a larger body, and ultimately a new humanity. That's what God is up to. So God works through humans from Noah to Abraham to Moses to the prophets until God enters into a body to show us the way. And ultimately, God's church is formed, and Paul speaks about the church as this body, as this new humanity. So Romans chapter 12 says, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
And so Paul acknowledges that the vehicle toward this trajectory, towards this new humanity, involves suffering, Ephesians 2. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from, from citizenship in Egypt and foreigners and uh, to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So this new humanity, this removing of barriers and hostility, this resulting peace, Paul says it was blood, the Messiah's blood that made that possible. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. It's this reality that there is suffering. And I think in our world, what you will see is there's a spectrum of suffering, right? There's, there's those in the struggle, in the suffering, and there's, there's those who are comfortable, right? And on this spectrum, it's going to take the comfortable moving toward the sufferer and feeling their suffering to bring them out of that suffering, right? It, and that spectrum needs to become that single point, a single point from which things can grow from molecule uh, to human, to cell, to the ever-expanding, ever-increasing complexity and beauty. Right? We're going to have to move the comf- comfortable toward those who suffer and find solidarity with them and get back on the right trajectory of increasing beauty and the new creation that God is creating. And off of that trajectory of brokenness and division, right? that's what Jesus was up to. That's what he's calling us into, this new creation, this one humanity. And if it doesn't include everybody, it's missing the mark. And here's what I'm noticing from my world of wheelchair perspective, right? Accessibility is a kingdom value, right? There are bodies that are differently abled, and they will need us to go to them and make accommodations will will need to be made in order for the inclusion, in order for accessibility to happen, and that is a disruption, right? It will be a disruption to the norm of able-bodied lives that may not see the barriers, may not see the things that need to be overcome, may not see the everyday world that differently able bodies face all the time. We have to enter in, we have to move toward, out of our comfort to find where we can meet and enter into and find solidarity in the struggle. So let's talk about that disruption, right? We, we broke the one rule in Genesis chapter 3. We call it the fall, right? Or, or we watch it live on channel 3. Either way, it's as if we're, we're back in that bang, back in the explosion, in the chaos, and we need God to step in and be God. We need God to step in and do what God does, where he fixes what we break and he removes the barriers that we've created. Right, we call that grace, God entering in and doing for us what we can't do on our own. Or we call it justice, where God makes right what has been made wrong through the reign of sin and death. And it says it there in chapter 3 that there's already a plan in place. This fall happens, and yet God, God already has a plan. He's already working to make it new again. We call that the mission of God, where he's fixing everything that is broken. He's picking up the pieces and making it whole again making it all new. 
And these disruptions are opportunities to awaken us to this new reality, to join God in the only trajectory that will work. And so these disruptions will come, and some are painful and some are beautiful. And so on a college essay, a standard college essay question, in order for the admission staff of our college to get to know you, the applicant, better, we ask that you answer the following question. Are there any significant experiences you have had or accomplishments that you have re realized that have helped to define you as a person, right? Like maybe some of you have seen this question and answered this question on a college application, and you say things like, I aspire to become a trustworthy citizen that contributes to the good of the community. You know, like things that we don't, we don't talk like that, we don't say, but that's what, that's what you're supposed to put on the, this answer, right? Like, you're welcome, I just gave you the answer. Um, but Hugh Gallagher thinks otherwise. Here's how Hugh Gallagher answered that question. I am a dy dynamic figure, often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. I have been known to remodel train station on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the area of heat retention. I translate ethnic slurs for Cuban refugees. I write award-winning operas. I manage time efficiently. Occasionally, I tread water for three days in a row. I woo women with my sensuous and godlike trombone playing. Godlike trombone playing. I can pilot bicycles up severe inclines with unflagging speed. I cook 30-minute brownies in 20 minutes. I am an expert in stucco, a veteran in love, and an outlaw in Peru. Using only a hoe and a large glass of water, I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon basin from a horde of ferocious army ants. I play bluegrass cello. I was scouted by, <laughs> I was scouted by the Mets. I am the subject of numerous documentaries. When I'm bored, I build large suspension bridges in my yard. I enjoy urban hang gliding. On Wednesdays after school, I repair electrical appliances free of charge. I am an abstract artist and a concrete analyst, a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. I don't perspire. I am a private citizen yet receive fan mail. I have been caller nine. I have won the weekend passes. I bat 400. My deft floral arrangements have earned me fame in international botany circles. Children, trust me. <laughs> I can hurl tennis rackets at small moving objects with deadly accuracy. I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day and still had time to refurbish an entire dining room that evening. <laughs> I know the exact location of every food item in the supermarket. I have performed several covert operations for the CIA. I sleep once a week, and when I do, I sleep in a chair. While on vacation in Canada, I successfully negotiated with a group of terrorists who had seized a small bakery. The laws of physics do not apply to me. I balance, I weave, I dodge, I frolic, and my bills are all paid. On weekends, to let off steam, I participate in full-contact origami. Years ago, I discovered the meaning of life but forgot to write it down. I breed prize-winning clams. I have won bullfights in San Juan, cliff diving competitions in Sri Lanka, and spelling bees at the Kremlin. I have played Hamlet. I have performed open-heart surgery. I have spoken with Elvis, but I have not yet gone to college. Come on, Hugh Gallagher. Like, that's how you answer a college application essay question, right? Like, like this doesn't seem to make sense, right? Like, the, there's the content of it that's just, like, seemingly unrelated sentences strewn together, and there's the strange twists and turns. Like, 
I defended a village from army ants to I play bluegrass cello. Like the fact that this appears on a college application, like the content, the context, like it's all this confusion and yet here it is and it's pretty awesome, right? Like, like it just doesn't fit, right? <laughs> like he's operating outside of the box. Like, and, and maybe that's our problem. Like this guy, there's not even a box. Like, like that's his question. Like there was a box? Right? And I think that's our problem sometimes, too, when we think outside of the box. It's like the box is still the focal point. Right? It's like the, that's still the main thing, right? Because we live in this world of chapter 3, right? the fall, or we watch it live on channel 3, on loop, over and over again, where our ideas of tomorrow are shaped. And I would say that like, many of us are living on the spectrum of, of comfortable and suffering Right? Sometimes we're so comfortable that we're bored because there is no disruption, while others are struggling and, and there is only disruption. Maybe they're close to giving up. Right? And I've seen that the comfortable must cross paths with the struggling. Right? They, they need to enter into the struggle. Right? We talked about empathy. Because sometimes it's the comfort that leads to us being miserable. And it's going to take the comfortable moving from their comfort toward those in the struggle of suffering and sharing in that suffering and helping them out of that suffering. It's these disruptions that wake us up out of the boredom. For me, those disruptions have happened in many forms throughout my life, right? And I think for all of us, meeting and following Jesus is a big disruption, right? Uh, catching and surfing my first wave, that ruined my life, you guys. Anybody a surfer? Like, like, you know that when you catch that first wave, your life will never be the same, right? Like, like marriage, right? That disruption, that change in life. Having kids, that disruption. Having a spinal cord injury, that disruption. Like, losing loved ones, right? That disruption. Or, or times in my life where I've been at the end or at a crisis of faith and my theology had to change or shift because it just wasn't working anymore. Right? Like all of those things that are painful and they bring suffering, those things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, those things that disrupt and they get us out of our comfort and they make us tap into an honesty. And we tend to let go of the things that don't matter and we tend to find life in the things that we have taken for granted, right? This is the point, right? That, that the moment that we can get back on the trajectory of increasing complexity and beauty. And that's why we need practices like Lent and fasting where we suffer a little. Anybody give up stuff for Lent, right? Like I gave up walking for the 12th year in a row. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Um, I, can't, I can't pass up that joke either. <laughs> um, but you have to give up something to feel that loss, you know, to go without it for a time. And hopefully we're awakened to the things that are worth more. Right? We, or we give proper space and weight and power to the things that shouldn't hold as much weight and space and power. Because you go through that unexpected pain, that suffering, that trauma, that loss, that betrayal, that experience that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, and yet there's something growing within you, right? There's that chapter three promise of God working to fix everything that is broken, 
to make good out of the bad or somehow to use that suffering to bring healing to the world because that's what he did, right? He, he entered into this, into a body, fully human, fully feeling, fully vulnerable. He suffered pain. He suffered humiliation. He suffered betrayal. He suffered loss. He suffered. He bled. He died. And that is how, that is the vehicle, that is the disruption that brings life. Does anyone have had their life explode before? Right? When the tomorrow that you had imagined just isn't imaginable anymore? Like, that's the opportunity. That's the moment when particles can become atoms and atoms can become molecules and cells and humans and communities. Like, that's when you enter into this new world and it opens up. When I entered into this world of disability, when I became disabled, I found community that I didn't acknowledge before, right? I should have. I should have had empathy. I should have entered into the lives of my disabled neighbors. I should have known it existed. But the disruption opened up this new possibility. And if we're going to be honest about following Jesus, then we have to acknowledge suffering. We have to acknowledge that the cross is central to the story. We have to acknowledge that following Jesus will mean more suffering, not less. We have to acknowledge that the unity that Jesus prayed for us required his own suffering to make a reality. And we have to acknowledge that it may take suffering on our part to see that unity that we long for. And it will be a disruption. And it may mean giving up some stuff. It may mean learning new ways of interacting with one another. So let's look at Isaiah 40. Verse 3, a voice of one crying out, prepare a way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight the highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. Now, if you're reading this from the perspective of a wheelchair, this is good news. <laughs> this, this sounds like uh, the ADA, the Americas with Disabilities Act, where we made ramps where there were stairs before, and we made sure that people in wheelchairs could get places that they couldn't get. And we accommodated for loads of different disabilities so that people with disabilities could have an equal place in this world. Verse 5, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken all humanity. It's going to take accommodations. It's going to take lowering mountains, filling in valleys, uneven ground made smooth. And we understand this verse from Isaiah to be uh, speaking about, prophesying about uh, John the Baptist, right? The one who would come and make straight the paths for the Lord, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 3, there are people following John, and they ask them, What then should we do? The crowds asked John. And he replied, The one who has two shirts should give to the one who has none. And the one who has no food should share, who, who has food should share with the one who has none. You see this? Like, like, like we're lowering mountains here. We're filling in valleys here. This is, this is the way. This is the way we're going to make accommodations and make accessible those who are comfortable go to those who are suffering. If there is to be true unity, we must join in the work that God is doing in making level paths. 
making accessible for wheelchair users, or deaf or blind, or, or minds that are wired differently, all languages, all teaching styles, all the best proven practices. And, and by God's Spirit, when we come together and we learn each other and the differences between us and how God can create something there and we can create new practices and be led by the Spirit into this new humanity that, it, that He has for us. Right? Whether it's, it's steps when you're in a wheelchair or uh, sign language for those uh, who can't hear, right? Or whatever it is, we're making these accommodations. And we need to do better. We need to enter in. Right? We talked about empathy in this series is entering into and at least trying to see, trying to feel, trying to experience what the other is experiencing. And until we can start to see a world where the ground is made level for all and what that looks like for our neighbor who lives with visual impairments and our neighbor living with cerebral palsy or, or the one who has suffered a stroke or the one with respiratory limitations or food allergies. And I admit, I, I didn't know this world of disability, right? And, and I didn't really empathize with this world until I was in it. But now I'm in it. And that means, WCC, you are too. So we've entered into this, right? We, we enter into this empathy, enter into the struggle of others. We have to fill in the valleys and bring down the mountains, make the rough ground smooth. And there's going to be suffering. We have to be willing to suffer with those. And we have to be willing to allow our own suffering to be used for the healing of the world. So Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And that goal, right, that goal in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. We like that part, right? Like, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Right? And let's just stop there. <laughs> let's not read that next part. But this, this goal of Paul's is kind of like the, 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 what's the most important law, Jesus, right? Like, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. But that can't be separated from love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because they're created in God's image, right? And so Paul's goal of knowing the power of the resurrection can't be separated from sharing in Christ's sufferings, right? That's the goal, both. We don't like to say that out loud, <laughs> right? Like, like somebody left second service or first service earlier and like, hey, I'm going to go suffer. I'm like, well, <laughs> I hope not. But Paul said it. I mean, Paul's like, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to share in the sufferings. We like the power part. 
and we'd like to avoid at all costs the suffering part. But you can't separate the two. That's how incarnation works. If we are to be the body of Christ, we get the whole package deal. So let's talk about the incarnation, shall we? As we prepare to come to the table, we talk about the body and the blood, right? Incarnation is just a big word that means God put on skin. He, he entered into a body. He became human. He moved into the neighborhood. He entered into this mess that we made. He felt it all. But when my body lost abilities that I once knew, when I went from walking to not walking, when I went from function and feeling to no function and feeling below my spinal cord injury, that disruption opened me up to a new way of seeing the incarnation. Right? Jesus experienced this loss of ability when he went from sharing in the Trinity, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, God up in heaven, to a baby. <laughs> right? like, like that's a big disability. <laughs> went from everywhere all at once to confined to a space, to a time, to a body, specifically a baby body that can't feed itself, change himself. He's not mobile. He depends on the adult humans around him to know what to do to take care of him because he can't even communicate what he needs, right? That cry, is he hungry? Does he need to be changed? What is this thing, right? They had to figure out what he needed because he hadn't learned language. And as, as I adapted to this newly disabled body, the incarnation became more, right? I realized that when... When, when, when you say, like, God knows how you feel because, because of Jesus, right? Jesus knows how you feel. He experienced this. And the incarnation is God disabled himself for me. So, yes, he experienced this too. And more than just from walking to not walking. He went from God to baby. And now here this baby is teaching these adults about the kingdom, even as a baby. Right? As they have to make room in their lives, they have to learn new skills. They have to make accommodations for this baby and feed the baby and transport this baby to the places that this baby needs to be, uh, change the baby, feed the baby. And they have to teach the baby language, teach the baby and enter into this new humanity that Jesus is bringing about. And so we come to this table and we remember the body and the blood broken for you the empathy and solidarity that he chose to enter into with us. The blood, the sacrifice, the empathy, the suffering that we are invited into. Invited not to avoid, but to embrace like Paul as the goal. In this communion, it's done in community. Right? With some of you who are comfortable and some of you who are suffering, and we come to this point where we remember the broken body of Christ, the blood shed for us, whether we're comfortable or suffering, and we come to this point where we can continue on the ongoing trajectory of increasing complexity and beauty. Because the next thing that God has for us is that new humanity where we become the body of Christ. And we will continue to be broken, to be poured out, 
to come together in that point where we join God in the ongoing creation of the world. So go ahead and come up, and you guys can stand. And until we make accommodations and make accessible paths to inclusion, we close this spectrum of suffering and comfort. We come to this table, and we remember the Messiah that shed his blood to remove the barriers, to remove the hostility, to create peace, to put all the broken pieces back together. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.